0: podcast episode number 60 what is it Uh, three this is the coaches rising podcast i'm joel and this is a really exquisite conversation i'm actually going to be discussing with brooke mcnamara the poetic the poetic mind and her creative process and we might say well this is a podcast about coaching what are we talking about that for but as brooke speaks about the poetic what that is a mode of perception and the creative process, this process of ex- expressing our interiors, accessing an immediacy and an authenticity, which has a, a transmission in it. And we are actively discovering who we are together. That, that this is how we can be as coaches with our clients, that we can access these modes of perception in the moment with our clients. Yes, the science and the discipline of coaching is is really important. You know, the, 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 the increasing rigor in the field, the discoveries in neuroscience that inform us, but also so is the artistry, the poetry of coaching. And that's what Brooke points to so beautifully today. And so Brooke's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about her online upcoming program a writing program and I think um, you should check that out if you're a coach so just a few more words about Brooke Brooke is a poet a performance artist a zen monk a mother and she's a coach she did the falling awake life coach training and she is a student of Diane Hamilton in the zen tradition she is a uh, also a meditation teacher and um I just really like the way Brooke sees the world. So what do I want to say? One last thing. If you are still interested, you can join our online summit, coachesrising.com forward slash summit. Sign up there. It's running live now. I've been deeply moved by the global field of coaches and practitioners that are gathering and the experiences we're having. And with that said, let's just dive in. Here's Brooke McNamara. Brooke, great to be with you today. Um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. How's things? It's a big question these days, isn't it? I ask it like <laughs> yeah. that, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, how's, how's it going? Like, it's a different question in these times, isn't it?
1: Totally. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. And um, driving over here, I just felt the, um, you know, enlivening nature of getting to have an adult conversation because I spend so much time with my kids these days um you know honestly things are going really great and that is nested within oh my gosh this is a heartbreaking confusing exciting terrifying time um but I, I, you know, so on a day-to-day level, we're all healthy. My family and I are healthy, and um, and we're in a beautiful, beautiful place with people that we love, doing work that we, uh, you know, feel like we're here on Earth to do. My husband and I, so all of that, I'm just so grateful, deeply mm-hmm. grateful. Um, yeah. And then I also feel the world. I just have always had really thin skin in that way. And I'm glad for that. Um, And I, you know, I feel for the people who are suffering in whatever way, whether they've lost someone or they're sick or the times are just really hard, you know, like Mm -hmm. don't know how, how to pay next month's rent or this month's rent or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's complex, but I would also say in this moment, I feel really joyful.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think w- w- my sense is that we'll, we'll actually unpack that a little bit, what you just shared in, in the check-in there, that there's this kind of such a range of experience right now that I think a lot of people are feeling. And um, um, what, what, I, what I'd love to talk with you about today is the work you do, obviously. And, you have uh, uh, an online workshop called summoning the unseen and i'd like to talk about that and the poetic uh, poetic ways of knowing and so um how does that sound i'm sure that sounds alright
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great i mean it's my favorite stuff to talk about
0: yeah and yeah. just just tell me also so so you obviously um you're you're a poet you've published books of poetry, but you're also a coach. Just give us a sense of like the work you're doing in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a dancer since I was four. Right. And, uh, and then I started writing poetry when I was, I'm guessing like eight or nine. Uh, so those have been two really central veins for me to feel happy and sane and um, connected my whole life. Um, and then, yeah, when I was in my 20s, I was dancing professionally in San Francisco, and I, um, I had this uncannily magical experience of finding my first spiritual teacher. I was looking for a therapist, <laughs> and, um, and I stumbled upon her book in a, in a bookstore, and it gave me complete, like, turned my organs inside out and gave me goosebumps. And I was like, who wrote this book? I thought it was like you know, some Sufi master or something like that. And, it, and then turned out to be um, Dorothy Hunt, who's a spiritual teacher in the lineage of Adi Ashanti and a therapist and founded the San Francisco Center for Meditation and Psychotherapy. So I went to her with like family of origin. I just wanted to work through some therapeutic stuff. And it turned into this like very poetic and very... Um, <laughs> Kind of dramatic, awesome um, transmission experience of like in her experiencing my true nature and getting that reflected back, and just some really vivid, kind of fireworky experiences. And I and and then many years of sitting with her and integrating all that kind of rewiring in my subtle and physical being. And so the reason I even bring that up is that I remember one day saying. I was dancing professionally and writing and I loved it, but I knew that I couldn't dance forever just with physical limitations. And I said, I, you know, I want to do what you do. I want to, I think what I meant by that is I want to sit with people in whatever's real, whatever's alive in the here and now and whatever's, um, you know, wanting to express uniquely through that being and I was already, I think like 28 or something, no, like 26. And she said, I didn't really want to go back to school for, um, to become a therapist. So she said, well, you know, you could become a coach. So I, uh, took, um, the falling awake life coach training. And so that Mm -hmm. that was kind of parallel to completing my dance career in San Francisco. And so since then it's been, yeah, it's been about 10 years exactly. And I see clients, um, it's much less, coaching is much less central than teaching um, about embodiment and meditation and poetry um, and teaching about creative practice, which I do with my creative partner, Lauren Beale. But so that, that I just kind of named <laughs> the whole spectrum of what mm-hmm. I do. And, and I've had a bit of a, an intention over the last couple of years to, to like make it less of a spectrum and more of like one thing that can flow along that spectrum if that makes sense i've had people i trust give me the feedback that i have a lot of like hyphens like poet dancer mother zen monk coach (laughs) you know Mm. i think a lot of us have that these days if we're lucky enough to have the means to follow a multiplicity Mm. of uh, meaningful paths but i i've been experimenting with like how can those all sit in, in like maybe three different things i do so I, right now i'm teaching and coaching a tiny bit but it is there
0: yeah mm-hmm. and um you said like if there's like one thing that runs through all of it i don't know if you know what that is or if that's what you you actually meant um but it, i don't know somehow i i felt compelled to ask you that question but mm-hmm maybe it's a beautiful question anyway. Like what, what's your sense of like what the thread that runs through, you know, the, the meditation, embodiment, poetry, coaching.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, It's a great, great question. I feel like I have to find the answer right now. And um it's, you know, first I feel my body. So the, there's that. I'm really like a kinesthetic being. <laughs> so I go, I go to my body and there's a feeling in my, in my torso. Uh, and it, it, there is um, kind of a, I, in, in yoga, it's the, the central channel. is the Sushumna Nadi. I don't know if that's what I'm feeling, but there's a way that like I can, the way that I plug in uniquely is to feel that, that like central physical, energetic channel, when I feel that, then my answer is, is that it's the poetic. It's like a, a visceral, poetic way of um, being curious and discovering right now. And, and I love to do that alone. I love to do that with, like, um, you know, aspects of my own self, in conversation with each other. I love to do that with unseen forces around me. And then I really love to do that in collaboration with other human beings. So there's a, like a sensing and art, and, and articulating and expressing of the emergent, whatever, whatever's coming into form right now is really, that's always been really exciting to me. I feel simultaneously childlike and like really old and ancient <laughs> when I'm hanging out right where, you know, Something's coming from nothing. That's so interesting to me, and I don't know why but it always has been and I feel like that's the Fountain of poetic knowing and being and expressing and whether it's coaching meditating Writing dancing mothering I feel at my best when I'm Right, you know surfing the emergent
0: (laughs) Mm. If That makes sense. Yeah, totally um, as you, as you speak into that, it, I feel, feel a kind of quickening and attuning a in myself. And, um, you know, you said, oh, I feel like we have an affinity before we started, you know, the, the podcast proper. And so I just, it just lights me up hearing you speak about this and, you know, just to, to coaches listening, like what you just talked about, I think it speaks for me so beautifully into, um, this, 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 uh, sense of, of emergence becoming you know that, that mm-hmm. this is this kind of journey we're, we're all on and that um that you know um that's a whole being kind of um endeavor in some sense you know yeah, um yeah sure. yeah um feel free to to back uh, piggyback on what i just said I, I also wanted to ask you like um just for people listening when you say the poetic like could you, could you give us a sense of what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I, I always feel like whenever I try to talk about the poetic, I feel like I'm like spiraling around it and maybe getting a little bit closer. But it's one of those things like, like movement or like you can't ever touch movement. Movement is moving. And, and that's the beauty, I think, of why people are captivated by watching dance as an art form or even just the movement of nature is like we can't grasp it there's something really like fleeting and precious about it and the poetic feels the same way i feel like i can never actually name it but i can feel it and one of the primary things that i would say about when i feel it is um that there's a quality of resonance uh, and like you were just saying a whole whole body endeavor it's like a whole body resonance the poetic okay so what i mean by the poetic is a dimension of reality right now so it's not theoretical or conceptual even though i'm using language to talk about it which necessarily divides but i i'm going to try to use language to point to it right now and and it is also what i am and what we are so it's an i we it um more, you know aspect of reality and and um, I think it's beautiful true and good you know that trinity that gets talked about in the world of uh, integral theory and Ken Wilber beautiful true and good but not pretty and not sentimental and not like true in a fixed way it's like whatever just (laughs) You know, rips our heart open about um, a beautiful work of art where we're like, oh my God, what was that? You know, if you can think of the last time that you watched a movie that made you weep or saw a painting that for some reason just like gave you goosebumps, or, or maybe it's not so dramatic as weeping or goosebumps, but um, some kind of resonance. And for me, sometimes there's a little bit of like, reverberation or dizziness or or whatever the physical signals are there's a like an animal way of recognizing I'm in the presence of something powerful ineffable and you know ineffable I think the roots of the word include both wonder and terror Um, so there's it's not always like oh I feel comfy I feel Safe. It's kind of like, whoa, I feel revealed and I feel like nature is revealing itself to me. Um, But the poetic is also like very um, um, complex and multiple. So in in any given moment, it might just be the sense of um, like actual, when you feel actual connection with a friend or a client, if you're coaching, you feel actual, uh, like a, like a cord of connection is actually, occurring Um, or like right now I'm looking out at the sky and I feel like just moved by the movement of birds. Um, (laughs) So I'm jumping around a bit because I don't want to, I don't want to give like a fixed definition of the poetic, but it's, um, I would say it's a dimension of of reality that is uh, um, potent, alive and and registers, like I said, in our body, but also also in our mind. I don't think it, it's like a pre-rational thing or, or a non-rational thing. I think it, it's like a, maybe a post-rational. Mm. Uh, we register the poetic post-rationally where we, we can have like a really intellectual, beautifully intellectual experience that also includes some magic, you know. So. Mm. Mm. That was a bit meandering, but I <laughs> I hope it painted oh. a, little, a little bit of a picture of what well, I mean.
0: <laughs> I I I don't think it was or let okay. me say that um it felt poetic in a sense in that um you know you could have given a rational linear answer about what the poetic was but that sounds like it would have completely missed it would have missed the point, you know. Mm-hmm. It would have it would have defined it Um, and made it something kind of dead in a sense, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. reified it into something. So, so like, actually in your response, what I felt was it's like you were kind of speaking from that space, you know, in a way that allowed it to be articulated, you know, uh, to be seen without, without deadening it. Mm.
1: Good. Okay, good.
0: So that's my sense. And, um, you know, like I, Really appreciate that, because I feel that um one of the calls in these times you know like in some sense someone might say oh' we're, it's a coaching podcast. why are we talking about the poetic although it's certainly not the first time we have on this podcast um, but like it feels if the reason for me why this is so important is because and you mentioned this in our check-in it's like a poetic way of knowing it's like we are we've reached the end of the road in some way of the kind of um enlightenment era orientation to truth and reason and logic and that those are beautiful things so it's not like the end of the road in terms of like rejecting those things, but that we are being invited into a much broader um, or deeper, uh, the word would be um, sense of sensing and, and perceiving mm. and that it's breaking open our hearts. Even these, in these times of coronavirus and black lives matter and everything that's surfacing right now. It's like, um, so, and so uh, it, it, and it feels like that, that. Reliance on logic and reason has perhaps led us to Down some of the paths now where we're having to to face our relationship to one another and nature and um, Society and things in in, and and have a kind of reconciliation process. So Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what that brings up if anything for you Um,
1: well, yeah, I I agree. And what it brings up for me is, is something I didn't say about um, the poetic. And this is also what I love about the Zen tradition that I've trained in for the past decade that I still honestly don't understand how it works, but I fell in love with it really kind of instantly. And I think what I fell in love with about Zen training and, and also what feels really um, necessary about, poetic ways of knowing is the directness like uh, uh, that we encounter ourselves, you know, I love that word encounter that we encounter ourselves and we encounter this moment um, as directly as we're, as we're able to. And that requires both learning and unlearning. It requires both like um, flexing new Skills and new pathways in terms of how we perceive, um, and then also kind of peeling off old stuff that's just in the way of really seeing each other. Um, and you know, I can share this anecdote because you mentioned coronavirus, Black Lives Matters. It feels like this is a time when stuff under the surface is coming, coming up for us to encounter. Like I said, and I was talking to my husband Rob about anti-racism work because we're we're you know wanting to continue to do that and in the most um like wholehearted ways that we can find and learn in in ways that are truly uh beneficial so i i've been studying with uh i'm in a year-long course with resmaa menekum and for anyone who doesn't know his book my grandmother's hands Mm, um yeah Mm. it's like you were saying it's like it's not he says in the book, we can no longer go about this work conceptually with strategies and with theories and because it doesn't actually get to the root of the problem because the problem lies in the body. And so my friend Corrine Bell is doing a year long course based on Resma's work and um, and to include the body and to include sensation and to include those, those responses and reactions and ways of seeing that are so close in that they knee jerk before we have time to think to actually be, well, for me, my reckoning is to be real with those and and actually taste them and, you know, bring them a little more into consciousness and then work through them with trusted people. Um, And then alongside that, so that feels like poetic work to me, <laughs> just, just mm. to complete that thought. That feels like poetic work to me because it's whole, it's whole body. It, it moves me. I feel emotionally moved and I feel my body awake and, and on the line, you know, like um, more so than just thinking about anti-racism work. It's like, I feel my body activated and, and doing some work and the most just to follow along this thread and, and a very poetic moment that I had in terms of anti-racism work was with a good friend of mine, Gabe Wilson, who, you know, and I called him for some guidance around the topic. Um, cause it was sort of coming up in a teaching context for me. And, um, I think it's okay for him, for me, for me to share this. It was just such beautiful guidance from him. He's Brazilian American and, uh, there's a lot of diversity and inclusion work and, and it's just a brilliant loving human. And he said, Brooke, I think one of the, one of the most direct, I don't know if he said that he, he basically said, what I, what I would say is for you rather than like thinking about all this, like the language and labels that are out there for how you can become an ally or whatever. He said, I, I would want you to fall in love with, my people. I, I want you to fall in love with the soul of black people. And so that if you fall, if you actually fall in love with the soul of my people, um, w- then when one of us falls unnecessarily like George Floyd, you feel it as a real loss to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has stuck with me more than any other le- learning that I've done. Um, because that gets right into the core. Like, yeah, why, why wouldn't I, what is holding me back, if anything, from falling in love with um, the soul of black people? So um, Mm. that's just one. uh, What was your original question? It was kind of like, oh yeah, why is the poetic necessary in these times? Well, because if we don't go there into like the core of it, I don't think we really scratch the itch or solve the problem. At least that's, In my world, I feel like I'm in this, um, if I don't drop down into that kind of a moment, like with Gabe, um, and then look at where I'm not falling in love with any of my human family, you know, the soul of black people or, or anyone who is different from me in any way, how am I not allowing myself to fall in love with my human family? I don't know, we have so many crises on our hands. I don't know how we're going to do it unless we let ourselves fall in love with each other. And that's a lot of work to ask. I know that probably sounds like an impossibility, but without the poetic, I don't know how we are going to get there. You know, there's also skills like my teacher, Diane Hamilton and Gabe, and our friend Kim Lowe have this amazing book coming out, Compassionate Conversation, that's full of both poetic ways of being, but also like really concrete skills for working through conflict and difference and so i'll say that there's totally a need for that and they're doing that work beautifully but where i feel called is also just this you know the, po- the poetic more I, I i guess more emotional artistic way of finding bridges
0: mm. um could you say like when i hear you talk it's like um i hear a kind of a journey of 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 like accessing these different ways of sensing or knowing, sensitizing yourself, you know, in, in perhaps in in ways that w- that weren't there before, you know, as you as you do this work around race, for example. Um could you talk a little bit about maybe your journey um with that and then creativity as well? You know, like what's the connection between that and creativity? Because you know, you talked before about this kind of like being on the emergent edge and I think you said like, um, kind of fountain of poetic knowing. So it's like, I, it, they seem linked, you know, like, mm-hmm. a, um, yeah. So yeah. I'd love to ask you about, about your, your creative work. Cause, um, I think we can point to how coaches or people, anyone, you know, there's not just coaches listening to this, but people listening can actually tap into this kind of, creative work too so yeah
1: yeah okay yeah yeah. I just I I, when you asked the question I was like that is such an interesting question I don't know what I'm going to say and then it just something just came to me which is that um so like I said in childhood I I I told my mom when I was four I said I'm a (laughs) bawawina um Hmm. so I don't I don't know where like my impulse to dance and my impulse to write came from Um, but they were either just like built into my soul or maybe they're from past life or I don't know, but um, they're deep and enduring both of those pathways. And so, you know, like any, like any training, whether it's a coach, an athlete, a spiritual practitioner or an artist, like there's going to be chapters where we have to build skills and train in the, I mean, this is my perception, of course, there's, definitely probably exceptions to this rule but my path has been and and for many artists I've seen it's like there's many years of doing the scales as they say or like for me I was like in that ballet studio you can ask my parents like every night of of my growing up and I was just obsessed you know like I wanted all the all the things that you want as a ballet dancer, like you, your leg to go higher and to be able to do more pirouettes and whatever, like just all the skills and developmentally, that's just what I could see as a good dancer. That's what it meant to me. And then I remember in high school, I hurt my back. So I started doing modern dance, which I thought was like, you know, <laughs> I, thought, I thought modern dance was like for failed ballerinas. That was my perception coming from ballet. But then I remember having this moment of realizing, oh my God, there's so much more freedom for my particular body mind to express. You know, at that point I was a high schooler and so angsty, like I'm probably at four on the Enneagram, (laughs) just like lots of big feelings, big moods. And I, I realized in modern dance, which requires a lot of training in a different way than ballet um, and I was training with a Graham, a former Martha Graham dancer, who was just a really rigorous teacher. So it was a, it was still deep training, but but there was a value placed on expressing your interior, and that, you know that is part of modern dance. Is like these um, kind of diva pioneers of modern dance were really interested in psychology and Carl Jung, and you know archetypes, and and not just like executing, but actually revealing our subjectivity. To the audience and creating um, communion that way. So, so that wave happened and then I remember just more and more it was like, ah, God, now I have to let go of my training and how do I let go of the habits that I worked so hard to create for years so that I can express just more spontaneously and freely as an artist. And, and then in my 20s with a contemporary dance company in San Francisco called Levy Dance our main value, I mean, we were still training rigorously in and tech, dance technique, but that was only to have a clear vehicle through which to express immediacy and authenticity and intimacy, and that was our core mission, and it was so exciting to me. I mean, for six years, we were just in this laboratory of, like, how – How can we rehearse, create a piece, create a dance performance piece and rehearse it to a point where it's, you know, we feel like it's excellent enough to put on stage and ask people to pay money to come see and yet do it in a way where we are having a real experience and actively discovering who we are, who each other are and what this moment is while doing this really physically difficult thing. And if there was like a, if, if we had to make a choice, I would say that it was more important to have a real experience on stage than to execute, execute the thing well. And because of that, sometimes we would cry on stage. And if, if not that, if not that dramatic, um, then I really fell in love with my company members. We were so close. We were like a family, you know, and it was a spiritual experience. It was like every time, you know, even if it was kind of more subtle and ordinary that there was such a value placed on discovering the moment actively. And because that is contagious, like that we never would talk about this publicly, but all of a lot of, of course we got critical feedback (laughs) sometimes, but our, we got a lot of love. We were this emerging company and we got a lot of positive feedback um, from audiences and, and also sometimes newspapers or whatever, that there was something going on with us, you know, and that something is that we were, tr- we were exploring emergence at, non-verbally. And, and then I think people could feel the intimacy and they were touched by it. So your question was, I can't even remember now. If you can remind me, I know that
0: this is linked. I think it. it well, it's just an exquisite answer, by the way, and I, I want to reflect on it in a moment. But the question was, um, like how the work you're doing, the poetic work you're doing around like race and and um, you know, like feeling feeling things around race, for example. That was a, and then how that mm. connects to your creative process. Right. It, right enhances or aids it you know like yeah yeah
1: so that's the answer is that um my training became it wasn't always about this but it definitely in my 20s and since then in new and different and evolving ways both in performance and in poetry because i value the same thing both in the in the poetry that i want to read and the poems that that i feel excited when i'm writing there is that active discovery, which is contagious and transmits. So it's not a report about reality. It's a, it's like, you know, and it asks something of us, my teaching partner. And I always say like, we <laughs> we have some things we do when we're in creative process, but we, there is no formula. And if there is, you're fucked. Sorry. to to, to Excuse my French, but like, if you keep repeating the same thing, I mean, you can use a a repetitive process to get into it, but at a certain point, you have to, you have to drop the technique, just like with meditation and any spiritual practice. There's like some methods and handrails that are super helpful at certain developmental stages, but there has to come that moment where you just dive off the deep end and free fall and see what comes to support you and see what ideas you have as you're falling and see what you discover and and when an artist is doing that you can feel it i even am taking a class with one of my poetry heroes ellen bass and she said the same thing last friday she said she said poetry is is actively discovering reality and then it's an invitation to the reader to participate it's like this vulnerable like hey this is how I am experiencing reality want to join me (laughs) and then if that clicks into connection there's such intimacy because to perceive reality together directly is is just intimate Um, and so that's how it's connected is that like my artistic training and my creative work and my and my spiritual practice have all asked me to build skills only to then let go of them. And I feel like that is what this moment is about is like, we got to bring our best skills and then we have to see if they're actually helping in this moment to bridge differences, to find compassion, to, to innovate. And if they're not helping, we have to have the courage or find the courage or at least experiment with letting them go and seeing who we are when we stand there kind of naked, you know?
0: Mm. I I just want to say like, like that was exquisite by the way. And everything you just said there, like I would, I would just apply that to coaching. Yeah. Like, this is why I like, I I love exploring like um, interdisciplinary kind of cross disciplinary kind of studying, you know, it's like, okay, what, what's like, what are you doing that, that I, you know, I could learn from and apply in coaching, and um I think that um w- w- this is like what what I see in the field of coaching happening now is is that we're we're moving into this era where um everything you just described coaches need to do, you know mm-hmm. what is it to move into a space like you just said this is how I'm perceiving reality, you want to join me you know that mm-hmm. being in that poetic space with your client uh where you know, both of you are expressing your interior and revealing your subjectivity and being transformed together. Mm-hmm. And that there is, you know, that sense of immediacy. Like that, you know, you're not just using your uh you know, your your kind of psychological maps and models and tools, but you're you know, you, you can have all that expertise, but it's in the background and there's this authenticity yeah. and immediacy and you're 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 being co-formed yeah. together. You yeah. Know, totally. and, and that and that word transmission, you know, like that, that, you know, that's a word I want to kind of bring out of the spiritual realm into the everyday because it's like, it's not some esoteric idea. It's, it's a, it's a very practical uh, experience actually, you know, one that, that, you, you know, and dance, I think is a great medium for it. Um, art, art, you know, poetry too, because it's like, you can feel it, you know, when someone's dancing and there's a transmission, it's like, it's just there and, you know, you see these like YouTube clips of people on the So you think you can dance and it's like, you know, people might not know there's a transmission happening, but everybody knows they can feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's touched by it. People are in tears or moved, you know, yeah, there's a sacredness. And so this is like why I want coaches to hear what you're saying, because it's like, we, you know, on the one hand, coaching is is developing uh, in, in a kind of scientific way, you know, through neuroscience and we're,
1: yeah.
0: and that's beautiful. Yeah. But we, this side is just as important for me, if not more important, you know, the, mm. the artistic. So mm. yeah. Exquisite.
1: Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And, 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 um, transmission, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's always happening whether we're aware of it or not. Like we just feel each other. We feel the plants, we feel the, we, we feel animals. I mean, <laughs> Everyone's right. tra- transmitting all the time it's not of course i maybe in the spiritual realm it's it's like tr- transmitting wholeness like there's certain humans who are abiding in, in maybe a less divided place within themselves and in their relationship to reality and so that's the kind of transmission that gets highlighted it's like there's certain humans but also you know the mountain that i'm looking at outside the window is trans is transmitting that same wholeness Uh, And I wonder if if everything isn't at a certain level, even if it's not, you know, also tinged with whatever pain or division that being is also experiencing. Um, But what you're saying in terms of coaching, I I think coaching is, is, like you said, it's a science for sure. And there's so much skill and technique to to, um, bring excellence and nuance and depth and, Like my husband is someone I'm in awe of in that, in that way. Um, But I'm more in awe of him because he's also able to just put it down and like have his heart just, you know, fill the room. Like he, he's um, a a master at that, in my opinion. I'm also biased because I'm totally in love with him, but (laughs) I, I, I think that that's, we need to bring it all to the table right now. We're at such a critical moment in terms of, you know, before coronavirus and, and all of this social unrest and the completely insane political state of my country, the United States, um, before it got so weird and heightened, we were already like approaching a climate crisis, if not already in one. And, and um, so, you know, you and I are both parents. We can't help but think of future beings. Um, and I know many of your listeners are, either have future specific future beings in mind or just feel the responsibility to the future of planet Earth. And and so I guess I have a bit of a clarion call that like, yes, we need neuroscience and we need our skills and we need our like full, courageous, creative presence that's willing to play and experiment and make mistakes and just be really real and full with each other.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. No. Brilliant. And um, I, I want to ask you about um the course you have. You know, um, summoning the unseen, and it's a writing course. But um, something you wrote to me, which was like, um, the the course is like a way for people to connect to creative emergence and to articulate it into form as vision to live by. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that because I think that, that's something that I'm certainly intrigues me and, and people listening will be intrigued by. It's like, um, how do you invite people into that? What, what that? what is that? What do you mean by that exactly? And how do you invite people into that kind of practice?
1: Um, well, I have to admit that I... <laughs> I get when I get excited about something, I get like pretty fascinated and obsessed. Um, You know, and it's a blessing and a curse. I I think it helps me really go deep into something, but then sometimes it's it's like, how do I get out of this? (laughs) So I'm sort of, this course is one of those things because I felt it brewing for many years. And then here we are, um, you know, where Rob and I both need to do as much work online as possible, because we're living remotely in rural Utah. And I just suddenly had a knowing I need to do this, like, I need to not wait anymore, I need to do this course. And so that's when, um, you know, those are like the surface conditions. But I think underneath, there was something more soulful, which is like, Bing, the timer went off, and this this like piece of my soul needed to emerge. And because of that, like the feeling of that is very different than I need to go get a job and make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have the resources to prioritize the soul piece rather than just the survival piece. Um, and this this soul piece is actually it is generating income, so that's cool. But I, I think because I needed it to generate income and um, even though it's, I just want to say for your listeners, it's also, it is pay what you can because I want it to be accessible for people. But I think enough people have been drawn to it that it has, it has been, um, uh, it has reciprocated financially, which is great. And given me the time and space and energy to obsess about it. So to answer your question, I have I've, I've just thought like when I am in my most juicy creative flow where I forget about who I am and how much time has gone by and uh, how much effort I'm putting in or not putting in when it's just flowing and it's sort of um, it, it, it's close to like nothing. It, it's hard to put into words, but like, it's almost, it feels almost so, so, natural that it feels almost like nothing and at the same time there's almost an ecstasy to it so those are like the best creative moments you know it's like I disappear but it's also ecstatic and that's obviously not the whole picture with creative work like it's it includes a bit of everything including lots of effort and lots of self-consciousness and lots of um agony even (laughs) but I was thinking like at the most flowing and at the the most natural when when it 's really aligned and plugged in, what happens? How did I get there besides just random spontaneous grace? What are the elements and and that 's what I made this piece around um, to set ourselves up as receptive environments as my friend Rachel Blackman says to, to make our, our own self a receptive environment for creative emergence as well as our online community in the course like how can we there's a saying about enlightenment that enlightenment is an accident and meditation makes us more accident prone I would say the same thing with creative emergence. It's an accident. It's a, it's a moment of grace and we can set ourselves up. So we're really ripe, you know, and we're really accident prone. And, and for me, it's, it's actually not that complicated and it's pretty reliable. And I feel super lucky to teach this course because selfishly I really enjoy the effect it has. So the basic formula for this, and then I, you know, you can ask anyone who took the last run, I would change it depending on the day. Like if we needed to actually just talk about the race dynamics of the day, we we kind of dropped everything and talked about that. Or, you know, we would just steer with what was happening in the moment. But the general plan for each class is um, to start with conversation around the theme of the day. And um, I just offer a couple of reflections and frames. So there's a bit of like cognitive, theoretical, artistic framing of a theme. So like, for example, the first class is just, what is, what is the phrase summoning the unseen mean? Like, what is that word summoning? What is the, What do I mean by the unseen? And I can un- unpack that more later if you want. But in terms of the arc of the course, it's like we would talk about summoning the unseen and then I or I have guest teachers that are phenomenal come in and um, so I or the guest teacher will read a couple of poems. So we move from this like more theoretical framing talking about to like, okay, close your eyes, lay down, whatever, however you want to listen to the poem. And I'm going to actually give you um, a, a, a real piece of art, you know, and a, a, a real transmission of try to find poems that are tran- transmissions or, Active um, expressions or experiences of what we had just been talking about. So, then a couple of poems. Then we meditate, and I give a little guidance, at least for the first couple of classes around um, posture, mindset. Um, but then we actually just sit for 15 or 20 minutes, sometimes a little less, depending on the day. We just sit in real time. And that's such a, like, it's such a simple, intimate, uh, confronting thing to do. You know, I'm used to it now with my Zen community and my husband and my best friend, like that's something we do together. But to do that with an international community of people, I think for some people it's, it's relaxing. And for some people, it's confronting, but either way, it tunes meditation as a practice, obviously it's (laughs) an ancient practice from so many traditions that tunes us to the core of the moment to a boundlessness within and around us and uh, an an emptiness or an infinite silence or stillness that is always here. It's right here right now, but we're, we're often conditioned and attuned to not um, taste it directly. So we go there uh, in the class. And so it's a space of nothing, but it's a, it's a nothing that's also everything. And from there, then we write. And that's because uh, I always wrote my whole life, but it wasn't until I started um, formally actively meditating in my 20s I realized that it made writing I could skip a lot of this like first stuff I might write that burns off in the meditation and then often after meditating what wants to come out is way more simple direct or from the source of me you might say even if it's about something ordinary it has a quality of being connected all the way in is one way of maybe saying it. So I give writing prompts and maybe uh, this time I'm going to give a little more tiny light touch pieces about uh, technique around poetry and artistic prompts related to the themes from the beginning of class. And then people can take it or leave it. Like they can write about whatever they want, but there's something about writing after meditating and having heard poetry and there's also something about writing in real time with lots of other people where there's a container. And so we actually do it because <laughs> so many people say to me, like, I want to write, I want to meditate, but I just, my issue is just actually doing it. So this is somewhere that you can come to do the thing. And, uh, and then from there, people connect in small groups, which a lot of them say is their favorite part of the class because they're really um, in, in a deep place after meditating and writing. And then we share in the big group and it's a really supportive space where if people want to share their poetry or their questions, they can, and they can also just actively listen. And there's often a lot of laughter and tears and life in that last chunk of sharing time.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, again, like I'm just thinking of, um, the imperative in a sense for us to begin to access that space of nothing that you described, which is not like, um, you know, a nihilistic, nothing it's actually, uh, incredibly potent, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like, um, the space where something, or maybe, maybe that's where summoning the unseen is happening, you know, like, yeah. that, um, and I, like, Again, like I just I see all the parallels for coaching, you know, like when I get it with my clients and we're both able to access that kind of ground of being, there's a spaciousness mm-hmm. and, the, and the contraction um, dissipates, you know, and then, and then it's like there's something can come through. Mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. something it's it it's like as you, i'm just kind of in a in a sense i'm just saying what you said but it's like i love uh, listening
1: to you um like uh, relate it to coaching it's really fascinating
0: yeah yeah just that just how it's like that something that comes through has a certain kind of you know you use the word like truth beauty and goodness to it as well and it can it can have that to it you know like an inherent for its own sake yeah. truthfulness you know yeah. or a, uh, potency, and it's like you know, we can we can discern, you know, like we can learn to cultivate our presence uh, as presence so that, that that can be more readily available. And um, as you described before, like there's an immediacy, it's like it's it's like we, you know, it, as we become more um pla- what's the word I'm looking at plasticity, you know, like yeah, it's like. We can more readily and readily access those states of 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 like um creativity and then um that like I, and I think this leads on to the question I had, which is like um you said like when you wrote like a vision to live by like and so like I want to see what you think of this it's like I can imagine it both it both like the thing that comes through is you know, can have, can have like a kind of vision, like quality to it, you know, like it's a, it's has some content or it points somewhere or or articulates something. And it could be very personal about one's own life, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's a vision to live by in the sense of like embodying that way of being that, 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 that with your heart broken open and, um, Mm -hmm you know attuned and, and and a conduit in that sense it's like that it's also in that sense a vision to live by
1: mm-hmm. so
0: um mm-hmm. yeah i don't know what that brings up in you
1: you know yeah i i love that that the, that it's a vision meaning like a a content for how things could be you know or like a, a it's like a subtle map that we have received but it's also literally the vision like we can actually by like dunking in or just like relaxing open into being or boundlessness or emptiness or true nature or the divine, however we wanna call it by tuning ourselves to that which we already are always and can't not be but consciously um, aligning and sort of being that, um, being this we can see with new eyes. So it's like we can have new vision, literally, not in terms of content and map, but just new way of perceiving. And I think that's as much needed as like a map for where to go is just how to see um, more with, with more kind of raw presence and heartbroken open, like you said, And one other thing that comes to me is, I don't know if you've read Charles Eisenstein's book, um, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. Have you read that?
0: I I haven't, no, no. Uh,
1: Well, he has this part about leadership that has stuck with me where he says that, um, uh, I'm probably not gonna say it just like he said it, but the gist is um, that a leader is someone who has received a vision and, and so it's not like the leader is propping up themselves. They have received a vision that they have faith in, or it feels, you know, it feels received, or like it has come from that place of nothing, or like summoning the unseen. We, it has been summoned from somewhere trustable, maybe, that the leader feels that, and then others feel that too. So they cohere around that vision. Um, and he's kind of painting this picture for how Healthy leadership can look, and just that—that that quality of having received the vision, the humbleness of that—for um, some reason it comes up in me when I hear you talking about um, that creative work of relaxing into the ground of being and then receiving vision. Um, and I, I didn't mean for that to be part of the course last time, but a couple people wrote you know, it was like right when protests were happening here and people in the class were really passionate and um, energized and, and wanting to talk about what was happening. And so there, a couple of poems came out that were just so fierce, you know, like stakes in the ground. Like this is how, this is how I, I want the world. This is how I need to live. This is how I need to live. These are my values. And um, so as much as like a, um, soft healing space can be created. It can also bring forth ferocity, which I think we need too.
0: Mm. What, what have we not talked about that we need to include in this conversation? Uh (laughs) That's
1: such a good question. Um, do you, do you want to answer it or do you want me to?
0: I'm I'm just seeing what that brings up in you. Um, Uh yeah i i could also try to answer that um but i'm trusting that that there's that it might draw your attention somewhere
1: Mm -hmm. it draws my attention to the title of the course which Mm. might still be a little confusing to people um and and so we haven't talked about that creative work and and coaching work um can be about very concrete, practical things. And of course, tangible, practical, you know, behaviors and um, specific details of our human lives need to be included. Um, And I'm just going to steer into the land of poetry for a moment because that's Mm. where the course focuses on. So I, I often joke like the real title should be summoning the seen and unseen. But that's so awkward and clunky <laughs> so implicit is like not a denial of the scene world I love the scene world I think it's magical and it's also just inherently valuable and we belong to it and and we need to tend it and be tended by it so and that's implicit summoning the unseen is kind of a bit of a coming out of the closet for me in terms of my experiences with the subtle realm or You know, and I don't want this to sound too esoteric or or woo-woo. And so often I'll say the unseen. Well, for me, I'll just say I I value in creating art that that, um, things I couldn't perceive before in works of art that I love get articulated somehow. Like I remember when I first read Virginia Woolf's work and she made She put into words things I knew, but I had no idea I knew them. They were so far in the background. I never could have known that they were there, much less put them into words. But she did, and then I knew I knew that. (laughs) And that's just a form of magic, I think, just straight-up magic. And and I think that's what art does for us is it it either brings the unseen into form or it it somehow allows a form to transmit. Now I'm overusing that word, but somehow communicate invisibly or non-verbally on some level. And so um, when I went really deep into writing my first book, I have to be honest that I felt, you know, all that stuff Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, and and she's talking about ancient ideas in terms of muses and daemons and these like <laughs> invisible beings that come and, and inspire us to like literally support our, our work. And I know for some people, this is like, this is the reality they live in, that there are invisible beings. And for other people, it sounds irrational. Um, but so, so um, for me, summoning the unseen is like not only allowing, but actually like calling in the resources that are not obvious. Um, And for me, that's an ancestor who started showing up in my meditations in my 20s. And I didn't tell anyone for six years because I was so um, embarrassed that I had an invisible friend. (laughs) Um, And then when I started to share about it, I realized I'm not the only one. and these unseen forces, whether they're beings or they're aspects of my own unconscious, I don't know. And I, and I don't really care.
0: Right. right.
1: (laughs) It it. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Go, Um, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so this is a space where, again, at this particular moment, I don't think we should hold back on investing in those resources either. I think like let's call in our ancestors and the bodhisattvas and god and goddess and um Uh, our spirit animal or whatever you know let's call those in and then also for people where they have just a more secular mind that's fine no no worries on any of that like you can call in your um gut knowing which is a scientific thing it's unseen but like we can call in um our connection to our best friend, which is invisible, but we can actually tap into that connection, that cord of connection. Uh, We can tap into gravity, which is an unseen force, but very real. And when we put our attention on it, like even when I just said that, I felt a relaxation and and like a surrender downward. So there's invisible forces that are secular. There's invisible unseen forces that are more in the realm of soul archetype you know, like deep psychology stuff. Um, and then there's just inexplicable stuff, you know, like I was listening to a podcast, Stuart Davis's podcast on like his mm-hmm. a- a- alien encounters. And I like, listened
0: to that one too. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, huh? <laughs> amazing. Amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> so it's, it's like, I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't mind like what unseen forces you want to call in. Or, and, and I don't even think it's about what you're calling it. And I think, I feel like the unseen world is summoning us. That's the other half of it. And can we show up and skillfully navigate that? So it's not, I don't want to call in malevolent dark forces. And I even have an animist, beautiful human animist ca- counselor and trauma informed therapist and an artist who's one of the guest artists to talk about that. Like, um, they counsel people on repairing relationship with ancestors and the unseen world. And so how do we skillfully navigate this? So we're not just like calling yeah. in whatever. I think that it's a whole ecosystem uh, that yeah. we can't see, but how, how do we call in purposefully, skillfully? Because we need, we need to not be in or I, I know I've benefited from it, from admitting that that's there. And, and yeah. And asking for its help humbly, asking for their help humbly.
0: Yeah, well, well, I'm I'm just a full yes to that as well. You know, I I've also been down a path in the last few years of w- working with with guides, you know, inner guides and and mm-hmm. um, entities in a sense, and um, you, you know, and I'm like I, I actually like in a way like you, what you said is it doesn't really matter like what matters is like what's the direct experience of it and what's yeah. the impact you know yeah totally. so you know and I think that's again where the poetic is so important it's like you know we can try and grasp it too much you know with our rational minds and and go is it real or not or you know and but that's missing the point of like what kind of um What what's being What's the benefit of this connection? What's being received? What's the you know, um,
1: exactly I've had
0: things in I I remember I like a dream I had about two two People that kind of visited me in this dream who were just like benevolent older brothers and sisters and Mm -hmm. but there is it was just something in that the way I felt when I was with them This Mm -hmm. dream was so short, you know, Mm -hmm. it stayed with me for years and it's (laughs) unfolding, you know yeah. And it's like, it's like a 10 second clip, like in my mind, not, <laughs> not even that. It's like just, so, um, and I, I, you know, so, and I think this is where, you know, of course there's like, like almost like a re, oh, how can I put this? Like the shamanic aspect of this yeah. work is that I know that there's a lot of people these days who do a, a, a weekend shamanic training and then call themselves shamans. And I, I don't know what I think about that, but, because I you know I respect this as a as a discipline, but it does feel like we're being invited to as a species or I don't know, maybe i'm being extending my thoughts too far there, but I believe it's like I'm excited to reclaim some of these again these ways of perceiving and and yeah. communicating in a way that can inform me to live my life in a very practical way that can inform me to make works of art that transform people, but that can inform me being a parent and can inform me being a coach. It's like, so it's part of that journey for me. And so, um, and I've seen that in my friends too, you know, like this, certainly like this massive um, orientation in the last five, six, seven years around the word soul around. Yeah. things. It's like, you know so yeah. i think it's yeah i think it's part of something that's emerging in the world
1: me um, too i used to hate the word soul honestly right i didn't know what it meant i thought it was like re- too religious or i i don't know i just thought it was lame overused and now i'm i love it it feels yeah. so enlivening and so um Uh, it feels like an, an alive word. And it used to feel like a dead word. And, and I, I agree. There's some kind of, and again, it's not to throw our rational minds under the bus at all. It's like a post-rational enchantment with like a re-enchantment, like bringing that childlike direct, like, (laughs) you know, like my son said the other day that the tree was waving at him. And it was like, it was, it was when I tuned in from his eyes, from behind his eyes, it was waving at him, and and like rationally, that's not true. But it, I think it can be both at the same time. We can have a scientific or logical, or or like really rigorous philosophical understanding, and be completely blown open by wonder and enchantment and the uh, the mysterious aliveness of all things, and be in relationship with that, so that the thing about my course is like, I don't want to feel like I have to figure everything out right now. I need other people. I need practices and I need even more than that. I need, I need beings that I can't see that I, that like you said, I know the feeling of them or, or maybe it's just a quality that I invoke, but it, whatever, whatever that is, um, if it makes me more creative and I can contribute some novel view or piece of art toward a a more compassionate and more sustainable world, like I'm willing to bring, to summon whatever, to listen and summon whatever to to be part of something more more beautiful and, and more kind.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Marvelous. Marvelous. Um, you know, well, I, I like, that's what I'm sat with, you know, in our conversation now, it's like just that feeling of that re enchantment, you know, and the, and the kind of the, the poeticness and the, and the depth that brings back into a life, which without that can seem, um, you know, like everything's just inert dead matter and very concrete, you know? And so, um, yeah, I just want to thank mm-hmm. you uh, for this conversation Brooke. Um, I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, please tell us where we can you know, learn more about the course and when it starts and stuff like that.
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this too. And I, I feel like it's been, it's been a, a long time coming. I knew we would find each other to, to talk in real time and I'm so happy it happened today. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the course starts Friday, July 24th. So it's, it's about a, just over a week from when we're recording this. And then it's 12 Fridays. So July 24th through October 9th, um, it's 10 to 12 mountain time. So over in Amsterdam in Europe, it would be, um, I think, six to eight.
0: Yeah, six to eight. Yeah, uh-huh. that's right. Yeah.
1: Last time, I think we had more Europeans and and people in Europe and Africa than North America and South America. So it was more people like Friday evening with their, with their wine or their evening beverages than us over here with our morning beverages. <laughs> but, um, it, so it's Friday morning or Friday night. And then there's a couple Australians in the course where I think they're in the middle of the night. But anyway, um, 12 Fridays, I teach seven of the classes and then I have five amazing guest teachers, Dr. Bio Akumalafe mm who is one of the most brilliant poetic minds that I've just fallen in love with. Um, He's our first guest teacher. And then um, Aaron Giesemann-Rabke, Dare Sohey is the animist counselor I was talking about. Dave Rock is an Irish spoken word poet, gorgeous human. And Rachel Blackman is an Australian um, theater artist who lives in the UK now and also uh, embodiment teacher and just, beautiful, um, human. So, uh, it's pay what you can, and, um, you can read more about it and find, find it at my website, brookemcnamara.com, B-R-O-O-K-E-M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A. And, uh, you can find it pretty easily. There's a a thing on the homepage that you can click that will take you to more info. Um, and, and my books are available on, on the website too. Lots of stuff
0: nice cool thanks Brooke howdy howdy Mr. Monk Mr. Joel Monk again just to say thanks for listening really appreciate that um, probably don't say that enough actually to you the listener and I just want to say that uh, you can find more podcasts at coachesrising.com and you can see some of our offerings there if you're not on the mailing list you can also sign up put your name in there and I'll see you again next time alright bye